This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at CatanShop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. It's Kristen. This is Molly. Molly, what size shoe do you wear? We're size 10, Kristen. And I learned from some tabloids yesterday that Mandy Moore wears the same size shoe as I do. Well, well, well. Who knew? If Us Weekly or of the like is to be believed, I don't want to say that it was definitely Us Weekly because they kind of blend together. Side note. But uh, yeah, it was in some some celebrity gossip mag the other day. Stars shoe size, and what a cool celebrity to share a shoe size with Mandy Moore. <laughs> I don't know why that's the one that stuck in my head. And the other thing that stuck in my head was that Heidi Klum was a size eight, which seemed kind of big to me. It seems small. She's so tall. I feel like you know Uma Thurman. I bet she's up there with you. Yeah. Well, there were some size 11s in that celebrity magazine, but I didn't even pay attention to them because clearly we weren't cosmically aligned at all. (laughs) Exactly. Well, um, you and I aren't cosmically aligned either, Molly, because I'm a size 9. That's, I mean, that's up there, Kristen. you got to admit. It is getting up there. It is. It's a burden to bear, (laughs) really. No, I don't mind it. It's fine. They generally have have my size, except when uh, looking at vintage shoes. Oh, yeah. Was, well, I mean, that's that's going to be one of the things we talk about is mm-hmm. how the American, well, around the world, how feet are getting bigger. How feet are getting bigger. And whether or not bigger-footed women like you and I, Molly, are just hideously unattractive to the opposite sex. I know. We always, we like to think we can get by on our sparkling personalities and uh-huh. our quick wit. Mm-hmm. But according to the research we're going to talk about today, we might as well just put a scarlet A on ourselves. Yeah. Or just start wearing, um, bring back the trend of, you know, when with pants going over the shoes, covering <laughs> shoes. Just or, trip around like, on the place. <laughs> yeah. Prairie dresses, uh, things like that. I like to exaggerate and just wear clown shoes. <laughs> I just want to embrace it. <laughs> Um, well, that's, that's one idea, Molly. <laughs> Me and Mandy Moore wearing our clown shoes together. The reason why Molly and I are talking about foot size today is thanks to an email that we got from listener Diana in response to a recent podcast we did about foot binding. And this tied into work from Diana's colleague about foot size and gender and interpersonal attraction because uh while we might just kind of generally assume that men typically have larger feet than women this has actually been a rather controversial topic among researchers in that specific uh specific field and moreover the question of whether or not foot size is an indicator of 
interpersonal attraction or not is something that uh, this researcher, Daniel Fessler, has paid a lot of attention to. So let's start with one of his studies that Diana sent us that came uh, from 2004, which was when he wanted to, you know, sort of firmly establish using all these old uh, studies, what, how, you know, the, the relationship between your height and your foot size. Because I'm a tall girl. I think that's part of the reason why I've got this big old 10 boot of mine. Kristen's very tall. But, you know, someone needed to do some science to make sure <laughs> we're huge. <laughs> we're the Gulliver of podcasters. <laughs> so uh, so here, here's the thing, though, that Fessler really wanted to figure out with this first study in terms of foot size. Because, practically speaking, it's not... It doesn't really make that much sense that women have smaller feet than men because of pregnancy, because it would it would be more advantageous for women to have larger feet to support our bodies when we get buns in our ovens <laughs> um, and because our center of gravity shifts and, uh, you know, it, it changes the way we actually stand on our feet. But uh, Fessler looked into this and found that it might be that uh, that small female foot size is a cue for youth and nulliparity or that a woman has never had a child before. So it was more based on sexual selection rather than natural selection to explain why women have smaller feet proportionally than men. So in that first study, he does make this, you know, link using all this data from around the world about the difference between female and male foot size. And then he starts talking about um, a question that's going to dominate the other two studies we're going to talk about that came out in 04 and 05 about what role foot size might play in physical attractiveness. Because there are a whole host of things we think of when we're thinking about what makes a person uh, attractive to us. It might be their face. It might be their eyes. It might be, you know, breast size. Like what are some of the other cues that people have studied in terms of physical attraction? Well, I guess it'd be hard to study, you know, charm and a winning personality, but <laughs> there's also sex specific patterns of fat deposition, um, height, greater male height, greater male muscularity. But he wanted to, with, with some other researchers, he wanted to see are men and are women really attracted to an idea, to the idea of a woman with a really small foot? Is this a marker for predicting, you know, interpersonal relationships? Right, because it's a sexually dimorphic trait, meaning that it is specific, you know, men have larger feet, women have, tend to have smaller feet. So it does seem to be, you know, a marker between genders, just biologically. Um, so it, to him, that seemed like a cue for, uh, sexual attraction. And it's also something that really hadn't been investigated before, you know, Daniel Fessler decided to, to take a closer look at it. So what he starts with is this, with two hypotheses. One is the observational hypothesis, which is foot size would be attractive to people because you can see that's the difference between males and females. Mm -hmm. You would see, oh, females always seem to have smaller feet. Thus, smaller feet are a sign of being female. Thus, I am attracted to it. And we've talked about this idea before mm -hmm. about how, you know, something like uh, facial hair marks men. And that may be why women can immediately spot a man with a facial hair and know that he is sexually available to them. 
And then there's the evolutionary hypothesis. Yes, and the evolutionary hypothesis maintains that evolution might have prompted men to prefer women with small feet because women with smaller feet would tend to indicate them being young and having never had a child. So uh, it would have been more advantageous for a man to go for women with smaller feet because that maximizes, if you will, his return on his reproductive investment. Something also that we've talked about before, how we're all on the hunt for the best partner, and what if it all comes down to our feet? Now, first, he's got to do something that in a different study is called the Fessler task. Mm -hmm. And this is, I think, one of my favorite terms we've learned for this podcast, Kristen, is the Fessler task. And what he did was he had drawings made of uh, five women. Well, I guess he started with one woman. And then what he did was he would subtly increase uh, relative to her size, the size of her foot. Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of it in his study. And it's very hard to tell. If you didn't know that the feet were slightly bigger or slightly smaller, I don't think you could tell. And that's the point. Yeah. You know, he wants to pick up on these unconscious desires we have for small feet or to even see if that exists. So. What he's got is uh, five five women and then five men. They've all got varying levels of foot size. And in several areas of the world, they ask people to look at these people, these drawings, and say, what's most attractive? Which one's the most beautiful person? And then who's the least attractive or the least beautiful? And so what do you know? Small-footed women. They attractive win. to everyone. They win the uh, Fessler's Beauty Pageant. Men and women both identified smaller foot sizes as more attractive. Now, what does this have to do with the evolutionary versus observational hypothesis? Well, if the observational hypothesis held true, then what you would want to see or what you would expect to see in your results would be that everyone would pick the small-footed females and the large-footed males. Mm -hmm. There would be just a huge difference between the two because you'd be going extremes on either end. Right. But instead, what they found was when they asked which of the male drawings were most attractive, people always picked an average-sized footed male. Mm -hmm. So that indicates that the evolutionary hypothesis is probably the true one because you don't need that sort of um, polar opposite finding for it to hold true. Just women have small feet because it's just part of, you know, a good way to spot them versus saying, oh, that's a female thing and that's a male thing. Right. So sexual dimorphism is not the uh, the only thing to to blame for this preference for more daintily footed women. So let's talk about one more Fessler study. And this came out in 2007. I think I said 2005 earlier, but it was actually 2007. And this one, again, used the Fessler task. That's where it's acqu- that's where it acquired its name. Uh, if I'm reading these studies correctly. And, uh, but they did different sample groups and they changed the drawings just a little bit because, um, there's this theory and it seems like the evidence is kind of contradictory about whether, um, one foot is bigger in one sex or the other. So they did it more so that, uh, the feet, you know, it didn't just look like a sex specific mm-hmm. foot enlarging, enlarging thing. So they were looking at a few things in this 2007 study. They were, um, looking to see relationships between foot size and body physique. They would, you know, look at the BMI and look at the foot length and try to investigate whether 
uh, you know, the people with smaller feet were smaller and slimmer in other ways in the body. Mm-hmm. They were looking at the kind of shoes that people who were really happy with their foot size would wear, whether people who saw their feet as small would wear high heels, which also has different effects on the body as well. It can elongate the legs. So they were looking at ways that you can use your feet to kind of increase your overall attractiveness or what we may think of as, you know, traits of overall attractiveness. Yeah, because this was based on some observations that Fessler had made um, in that a lot of women with, say, larger feet would actually kind of cram their cram their tootsies into smaller size shoes to mask the real size of their feet. Um, the fact that smaller, slimmer women tend to wear pointed toe and high-heeled shoes more often and things like that. So we wanted to find out, like, why why exactly, um, you know, we have these, like, strange kind of relationships with our shoes. And we do. I mean, every stereotype you would think there would be kind of held true in that study, as far as I could tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, you know... It's one thing to see a, a lady wearing a high heel and you can see that she's got a small foot and you can see that the high heel is elongating her leg. You can see she's slim. And, you know, I was sort of like, I mean, this seems kind of obvious, but I was really blown away by another link that Diana sent to us from New Scientist, which showed that even if you can't see all that, mm-hmm. if you're a guy, you still will pick those women as the most attractive. Yeah, Jeremy Atkinson, who's an evolutionary psychologist at the university at Albany in New York, isolated the, he removed the feet, actually seeing the feet from this equation. And what he did was he made composite faces or morphs out of the faces of eight women with unusually small feet. And then he made a composite face out of eight women with unusually large feet. And what he did was bring in um, heterosexual men and have them rate the attractiveness of these two faces. And we've seen the faces. It's in the it's in the article. And they aren't drastically different. But I will say, you know, there was there was one that that was a little bit more attractive. She see she had more um, typically feminine features, I guess, if you will. Her face was a little bit softer. See, I couldn't, I would have never picked. When I was looking at the two, I was really trying to figure out before I read the article, I knew the premise of the study. I was trying to figure out which was which, and I couldn't tell. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I guess I don't spend my time going around looking for women, so. I mean, they aren't drastically different. I, and, yeah, you actually did that better because I, I'm saying this because I looked at the pictures more closely after reading the article, so. Mm-hmm. I'm basically just confirming um, their data. But, <laughs> but they- listen, yeah, listen to how extreme it was. The men were three and a half times more likely to pick the short-footed morph as more attractive and almost 10 times as likely to say it was more feminine. Yeah. That's astounding. I mean, it's a morph of like several women's faces. When you hear that description, you don't even think it'd be attractive at all. But like this composite picture was more, you know, astoundingly more attractive to men and who couldn't even see these small foot sizes? Yeah, and the thing is, the the other the morph from the woman women with unusually large feet was not an unattractive person. No, at like all. I said, I couldn't tell a huge difference. I really wouldn't have been able to tell, like you know, which was which, or I couldn't have deemed one of them more attractive than the other. Yeah, and this evolution. <laughs> but maybe that's my large footed instincts coming <laughs> up. Um, but this evolutionary evolutionary psychologist was blown away by the extremity of these results, but it wasn't just the foot size too. Um, 
these um these different morphs found that men were far more they were more than 11 times as likely to pick narrow-hipped morphs, 8 times as likely to choose long-thighed morphs. But the question, of course, is why is this? Why are these faces innately more attractive? And Atkinson thinks that men are more attracted to the features because they serve as markers of a healthy childhood. Because biologists know that stress and poor nutrition during fetal development and puberty, according to the new scientist, can affect sex hormone level, levels and cause earlier puberty, which generally results in uh, bodies that are shorter and stouter. So is it possible that this would contradict that evolutionary hypothesis or just be something to add into addition to it? I guess if you're trying to pick someone to bear your children, you want someone to have a healthy childhood. Sure, yeah, because they would be healthier overall. And I think this feeds into Fessler's evolutionary hypothesis because when you're looking for someone to bear all your children... Uh, you're going to want someone who had a healthy childhood, mm-hmm. had all the growth that they needed. Now, the interesting thing is, is when they turned the tables and it made the morphs out of men's faces and allowed the women to judge them, the results were far more scattered. There was not this clear-cut indicator of preference for, you know, the unusually small over unusually um, large. And that's something... That happens a lot um, from research that I've noticed in terms of women rating men's attractiveness is there we are far more um, disparate in our ideas of what we consider to be an attractive guy. Um, there was actually a study that I found um, recently that concluded uh, that men have come to much more of a quick consensus about whether a woman is hot or not, if you will. Whereas with women, we're all over the board, you know, like some, and think about the, you know, your girlfriends, like I'm sure that you all have like kind of different types, if you will. And uh, the study confirmed this saying that, you know, like some women would chose uh, typically unattractive features that really, you know, rang their bells and, uh, so I don't know. I think I think this is an interesting example of how of how that is. Yeah, because you really don't think of your type as small footed necessarily. <laughs> I mean, like, yes, we all have types, but it's amazing to the extent, you know, based on just this new scientist article that things we're not even conscious of are affecting our idea of type and attractiveness. Because one thing that Atkinson points out is that the reason the women might not have picked those attractive features is again going back to this evolutionary bet that we all make in that, you know, men are looking to spread their seed and women are looking to have a lot of babies and to keep a partner invested in their babies. Mm-hmm. If you pick someone who's not conventionally attractive, isn't there a better chance they're going to stick around and continue right. to pay for your children? I mean, you know, it's always amazing how often that these things go back to evolution, but. But um, I think we need to emphasize, though, that as Fessler pointed out, this isn't necessarily a case of natural selection. It's more sexual selection mm-hmm. because contrary to what natural selection would probably hold, um, our feet are enlarging. They are. And this is where, you know, I don't know. I think I could detect it in my own voice at the beginning of this podcast when I kept talking about how big my feet are. And I'm like, may I just say, I've never noticed your gargantuan feet. <laughs> I thank you. And I, I would have never considered them gargantuan. They just would have been what I always, you know, grew up with. Until I started reading some articles you sent me from Slate and the Daily Mail and the Telegraph that were all just like large foot shaming articles. It's true. Well, it's because back in the day, women, I don't know how they got around on these 
teensy tiny little <laughs> platforms of feet. Yeah, at the beginning of the 20th century, the average American woman, according to Jennifer Howard at Slate, wore a 3.5 or a 4. By the 1940s, it was a 5.5. By the 1960s, a 5.5 or a 6. And now in the 80s, well, in the 80s, it was 8 or 8.5. And now they don't have, you know, the 90s or the 00s statistics yet. But you can see that there's obviously a growing trend. Yeah. And a lot of researchers are attributing it to um, obesity, you know, to the rising, how much more food we're mm-hmm. eating. And uh, other ways our bodies are changing. But I mean, just even when these reporters are commenting on this, the the puns and the and the little asides they, they get across s- to the large-footed ladies, just, it gave me a complex. I have never had any complex about, like, media images in my own body yeah. until we did this freaking foot podcast. There's a lot of large-foot prejudice out there in the mainstream media. My goodness. Uh, but that explains, though, why... You know, shopping for vintage shoes can be so frustrating because they're these narrow, dainty little, little heels. And, and you know what? My, my wide size nine just ain't, ain't going to fit in that. <laughs> but, um, the same thing's happening to men too. Uh, the Slate article points out that according to army records, the average shoe size worn by male recruits has gone up from a six to about a 9.5 since the American revolution. But, um, also, uh, there was a pair of articles, there's like a his, her pair of articles from the Daily Mail being like, oh no, male foot size is getting larger. And the next day, breaking news, women's feet are getting larger too. And, uh, so this is not just happening um, in the States. This is going on everywhere and people are freaking out about how the average man's shoe size has gone up in the past five years. As then this is based on uh, shoe shoe sales, shoe manufacturers reporting this. Um, and Can I just say one thing, Kristen? Yeah. Uh, when you sent me these articles from the Daily Mail, one, I was really mad because they just talked about how big my feet were. But two, I was like, I bet Kristen just picked these so she could do her British accent. I really did. And I think that I'm sure all everyone enjoyed that little interlude I, just there. I did not do that on purpose. But, but breaking news. Uh, breaking news in an accent is so much more important. According to the Daily Mail, the average shoe size is a, for men is roughly a size 11. And for women, it's still, it's still holding fast though at 8.5 for women, but that is a lot bigger than it was 30 years ago. And think about it in evolutionary terms, 30 years is nothing. I know that is nothing. I mean, they, these feet are growing like weeds, but it's amazing to go back to the slate article. It was about Jennifer Howard's search to find cute shoes in a size 11. Mm-hmm. And I think that knowing sort of this evolutionary background of it, it kind of puts into perspective that search for really cute shoes in the bigger sizes, because it is hard to find the cute, stylish shoes in the bigger sizes. And it, it takes me back to the clothing size podcast mm-hmm. we did about how designers will make, you know, a bunch of size fours because they want the slim people in their clothes. And yeah, I've seen a few shoes on me that don't look good because they're just so big mm-hmm. that I, it kind of, you know, puts that fashion, uh, perspective in combination with this idea that if, if men find small footed women the most attractive, then yeah, a designer probably wouldn't want to be known for his boat shoes. But Molly, you know what? Howard also makes the point that you should also remember, and that is she interviewed an agent from elite model management who confirmed that the average shoe size for models has climbed to a 9 or a 10. So, Molly, really, you you and I have model feet, okay? 
I mean, we're we're a couple we're a couple models sitting here, but you know, practically, they were talking about how the models couldn't model if they couldn't get their feet into these like handmade boots. Uh-huh. And I mean, you know, it's you know, it's a sad thing, but a lot of models have eating disorders to get themselves into the size for clothing. What if they start having foot disorders to get themselves into the size six shoes? Foot binding I mean, among that- models. You know, if if there was foot binding once, there could be foot binding again. Man, you just wrote a new story. Man. I mean, I am nervous, and it's all because of the large foot shaming I've read in the mainstream media lately. Oh, Molly, since you're so nervous, have you noticed uh, whether or not your feet are moving much beneath our podcasting table? Come I, on, let's just let's end this let's end this podcast on a high note here. Yeah, they are, they have been twitching a little bit. And let's talk about foot body language because, um, of all of this wonderful information I found about feet and attraction, um, no matter the size of your foot, women, according to <laughs> this study, which, um, really is, has probably been featured in Cosmo magazine at some point, but this study by Professor Jeff Beatty, who is apparently one of Britain's leading psychologists, um, says that your foot movement broadcasts just everything you need to know about attraction. Yeah, I mean, they say that you can tell from a twinkle in the eye or this small smile how a girl feels about you. Oh, no. No, fellas, look at our feet. <laughs> what are, Don't look at mine. They're so big. What are our feet saying? Uh, yeah, he says that, Oh, if a woman is attracted, then if she is moving her feet while she laughs at you, you are golden. If a woman is repulsed by you, she will cross her legs or keep them tucked beneath her body to signal that she does not welcome your advances. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought that this was uh, that this was interesting. He says that alpha males and females have a low level of leg and foot movement because they want to dominate and control the conversation. Now, one tip that I found on cosmopolitan.com for how to, for women to broadcast their come hithers to men using their body language was that they should dangle their shoes. And I wonder if they're so emphatic about, uh, women dangling, waggling their feet all which ways to establish that they are not an alpha female. Or to establish that they've got really small feet, because apparently that's the only thing that can hook you a man these days. <laughs> Molly, I'm worried about this foot complex this podcast is giving you. But you know what I'm saying? So, you know, the more maybe, you know, women, you know, moving their, uh, that's true. their feet around. Is, it's a sign, a sign of, of submission yeah, a little exactly, bit. Exactly, exactly. It's amazing mm. how science and cosmopolitan can come together. Watch out, I'm never moving my feet in um, a bar again. <laughs> by the way, if you haven't seen Kristen's video that she did for our blog, about Cosmo's body language tips. You should really head over there and check it out. It's it's a good time. So I think Molly, we've uh we've covered this. We have walked all over. Oh, especially <laughs> with our gigantic feet. This foot topic. Yeah, we can cover we a lot of ground. Stamped it out. You and I. But let us know um what you think. Men, please write in and tell us, do you ever pay attention to a woman's foot? Have foot has foot size ever really played a role in has, has it been a make or break in other words type of thing for you we want to hear your thoughts it's mom stuff at howstuffworks.com and uh, Molly let's read an email alright I'm going to start with a reading list really quick from Shannon a few of her books this summer have been Play It As It Lays by Joan Didion Waiting for Teddy Williams by Howard Frank Mosher 
Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger, Blockade Billy by Stephen King, Living Dead in Dallas by Charlene Harris, Once Upon a Game, Baseball's Greatest Memories by Alan Schwartz, Open and Autobiography by Andre Agassi, and This Time Together by Carol Burnett. So, casting a wide net there. Indeed. Um, I've got one here from Gwen, and this is in response to our episode on proposals. She says, back when my husband and I were having our first tentative talks about marriage, my husband of four years felt very wary of the one-sidedness of proposals. I thought this very enlightened of him. Although he did consider a couple of very creative proposal ideas, in the end, we had a very two-sided conversation about the matter and made the mutual decision that marriage was the right option for us. We felt very modern. However, now, four years later, we both regret a little that we don't have a more interesting or romantic story to tell as part of our narrative. And if we had it to do over, we would have both chosen something different, especially knowing that things worked out so well. It's been four years, and we're still very happy, although maybe less enlightened and modern than our younger academic selves. And to Gwen, I say, just make something up. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Gwen, for writing in. Aren't we always advocating honesty, Kristen? That's true. That was a joke. Um, Well, speaking of honesty, I'd honestly love it if you guys wrote us an email. Write us emails in. We would honestly love it, too, if you would find us on Facebook and like us. And also follow us on Twitter. And who knows, maybe if, like, 5,000 people will join us on Facebook, we'll post pictures of our feet. Just like we're going to I did not make that <laughs> promise, Kristen did. That's going to make people leave our Facebook page. But anyway, uh, yeah, check us out online. And also head over to our blog. It's uh, Stuff Mom Never Told You. And you can find it at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth. How do I grow a teenager in a pandemic? Well, that's exactly what I want to find out. In my new podcast, Go Ask Allie, I'm asking experts to help me answer that question. For example, are quarantine teenage girls more apt to Instagram nude photos? Are they somehow going to end up on the dark web? Are teenagers getting ripped off by their new virtual education? And how do we deal with their overwhelming anxiety and uncertainty? And are they losing empathy? I'll be talking to experts and friends like my friend Brooke Shields. She'll reveal how her complicated sexual upbringing has influenced how she is as a mother to teenage girls. It's a new world. And how we raise these young humans in it determine our future. So let's share some real experiences with all new episodes releasing every other Thursday. Listen to Go Ask Allie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Amy Nelson. And I'm Sam Edis. We're the hosts of iHeart's newest podcast, What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We both have our own businesses, and between us, we have seven children. And since the moment we met, we've been sharing our stories with each other. The thing is, we all know the stories of industry titans like Bezos and Jobs, but the stories of women, they remain incomplete. We ask questions no one else even touches. We are not afraid to get personal. So listen to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.